came down just as God said. But, don't you hate buts? Don't you hate buts? But always means something bad happens. So when we don't succeed, what do we do? Joshua chapter 7, verses 1 through 12 is where we begin. <clears throat> when we don't succeed, we need to consider three things. Consider three things. One, failure can reveal hidden problems. Sometimes when we don't succeed in life, now sometimes, sometimes God allows us to encounter obstacles just to test our faith. Sometimes we're doing the right thing and everything doesn't happen as quickly as we want it. But I know there's one person here today that can testify. In the fullness of God's time, his blessing does come. And every single one of you should say amen. amen. If you are married, if, if you've got blessed little children running around, if you have the privilege of working with children, then you should know that blessings come in their time. But you know what? Failure can Reveal hidden problems. Take a look at it today. Joshua 7, 1 through 12. We're going to go through this passage, stopping to look at what these hidden things might be. Are you ready? Verse 1. The Israelites, however, were unfaithful regarding the things set apart for destruction. You remember, there were very specific rules given for how Jericho was to be taken, what was to be destroyed, and what was to be given into the Lord's treasury, right? God gave Joshua very specific instructions, what they could and what they could not do. Just remember, when God gives you rules, they are not for you to consider. They are for you to obey. So they were unfaithful regarding the things set apart for destruction. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, those of you who come on Tuesday nights, you know who Zara was. You know who his brother Perez was too. If you, miss when, if you miss Tuesday nights, then you miss who that is. But the son of Zara of the tribe of Judah took some of what was set apart and the Lord's anger burned against the Israelites. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and scout the land. So the men went up and scouted Ai. That word, however, the Israelites, however, that's a terrible word. It's a tragic word. In our lives, we can say, you know what? That guy, he loves the Lord. However, he has an addiction. That person, they just, they love Christ. They read their Bible. They go to church. However, they don't handle certain aspects of their life well. Guess what? The Christian life is not about being 90% faithful. Guys, if you're married to a beautiful woman, as I am, and you're 90% faithful, does that cut it? Only one woman in the whole congregation said no. I am seriously going to pray for you people. Ladies. Look at that man you are stuck with. I mean, married too. If he is 90% faithful to you, is that okay? No, it's not okay to be 90% faithful. How about 99% faithful? No. You expect your husband to be 125% faithful. You don't even want him to stray in his thoughts, amen? Doesn't matter what the body does, it's where his brain is. 
Now, if you've got a husband, you know men don't have those. So don't worry about it. It's okay. Here's the thing. They were so good, they took Jericho. However, they were unfaithful in one aspect. And that was enough to bring the Lord's anger. Is that fair? Is it fair for God to expect them to be 100% faithful to him? Yes, it's fair. Why? He saved them. He protected them. He gave them Jericho. He brought the walls down. He did all the work. All he said is be careful in the things set apart for destruction. You see, sometimes we think the Bible only applies to us nine times out of ten. There might be some little area in the scripture where you think, you know what? I believe nine things out of ten in the Bible. But this thing over here about God being the creator, I, I don't know about that. Or this one over here that says I have to wait for marriage to do certain things. Uh, this is a new age. This is a different time. I had a young lady tell me the other day, I'm not going to point her out, that would be mean, and said to me, but pastor, what's really wrong with homosexuality? What's really wrong with it? I said, God said it's bad. And she's like, no, really, what's wrong with it? I said, God said it's bad. What part of God said it's bad don't you get? If God says don't do it, what do you do? Don't do it. You don't argue. You don't form a contract. Well, God, I'll take you on nine things out of ten, but this area over here, I can't accept that. Well, apparently, this guy right here thought the same way. How tragic that they succeeded. However, Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, decided that this one rule didn't apply to him. Let's press on verse 3. After returning to Joshua, they reported to him, don't send all the people, but send about two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Now, hang on. Did God tell them that 2,000 was good enough? Did God say you only have to send some people and the rest can take a vacation? God didn't say that. He said take the land. How many trained warriors went across in front of the ark? Forty thousand warriors went across in front of the ark god expects all of his people to be involved all of the time in everything he does everybody gets a vacation every year from their job amen all y'all like to stay guess. all y'all say you know what don't give me a vacation i want to work 366 days a year just leap year right I want to work 366. No, don't pay me for my vacation. I don't need the money. Really? That's how you think. Everyone takes a vacation from their job. Nobody takes a vacation from their marriage. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I do it. See, as soon as Ray gets there, I know the word of God's going to come out of his mouth. There you go. Preach it, Ray. Well, apparently, the spies said, you know what? We are so bad. We're so tough. You don't have to send all of our soldiers. Just send a small force of people to do the job. Since the people of AI are so few, don't wear out all of our people. Some people think that serving God every day wears them out. I think serving God every day keeps you safe and builds you up. It makes you strong. So about 3,000 men went up there, but they fled from the men of AI. The men of AI struck down about 36 of them, and chased them from outside the gate to the rock quarries. That's what they are, quarries. 
striking them down on the descent. As a result, the people's hearts melted and became like water. This passage is so interesting. They saw Jericho annihilated by the, by the very breath of God. They saw the Jordan River stopped. And they sent a small force up to a hill, hilltop city named Ai. And they got their butts whipped. Out of 3,000 men, God was merciful and only 36 men died. That's great. If you've ever been a soldier and you send 3,000 men into a fight and you get beat and only 36 die, that's really good. That's really fantastic. You got off easy. You see, God's mercy was still operating even in the presence of his judgment. People, if you're doing something that God says don't do, He's going to give you a little slap on the hiney just to get your attention. 36 men, 36 families lost their provider. 36 women lost their husbands. But compared to what God could have done to punish them, this was very light. His mercy was present even in the midst of his judgment. Do you realize that? And it says they came back and they said, oh no, boo-hoo, we got kicked. And what's the first thing that happened? They lost faith in God. How could they lose faith in God just because one thing didn't go as easily as they thought? You ever had a problem in your life? And you tried something and it didn't work? Did you give up right away? Did you quit? No, you didn't quit. You went back and you did it again. And you prayed and you went back and did it again. And you went back again and prayed until it came through for you. Amen? God is never late. But sweetheart, he is never early either. Sometimes it is being in the fight. Sometimes it is being in the midst of that trial that toughens us and hardens us and equips us. Every kid that goes to boot camp, the first time the, the drill instructor takes him out, every kid falls on the ground throwing up his guts. You know why? Because that's the purpose of the first day of boot camp, to show you how weak you are. But you know what? They don't let you quit on the first day. They make you go the second day and the third day and the fifth day and the fifth week until you are strong and able to do what a soldier must do. As a Christian, you have to stick with it. You can't give up. Their hearts turn to water. Why? God had never disappointed them. He had given them two kingdoms on the east of the Jordan. He had brought them through the water. He had given them Jericho. You would think... That if something happened, they would stop and ask, why? Hmm, what did we do wrong? No, they said, oh, God's failed us. God has failed. Look at this. Verse 6, then Joshua tore his clothes. By the way, you weren't supposed to do that unless you were under extreme pressure, extreme sadness. Only then would you tear your clothing because you couldn't just go down and weave new clothing. It was, it was a process. So for them to tear their clothing, that meant something. So Joshua tore his clothes and fell down before the ark of the Lord with his face to the ground until evening. If they came back at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, he laid there till 6 o'clock. He laid there till the going down of the sun. And he showed God that he was serious. He laid in the heat. He laid in the, in the dust. He laid there thirsty. He laid there hungry because his heart was broken and he wanted to know why this had happened. As did the elders of Israel... They all put dust on their heads. This was a sign of death. 
Oh, Lord God, Joshua said, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to hand us over to the Amorites for our destruction? Even Joshua was asking God why. Now, God had given them all these instructions about Jericho, and they had won. And instead of thinking, what did I do wrong? What's the first thing he thought? God, what's wrong with you? Why can't you answer our prayers? Why can't you take care of us? Don't we do that sometimes when life isn't easy, when things go wrong and we go, Lord, I just got out of a financial situation. Why are you putting me back into one? We act that way even though that shows no faith, no trust in God at all. If only we had been content to remain on the other side of the Jordan. What can I say, Lord, now that Israel has turned its back and run from its enemies? This grief drove him to say some things that we all say when we're in the middle of extreme grief. But hopefully we, like Joshua, are going to come to the place where we realize there's another answer. It's not that God is weak. It's not that God is unwilling. It's that there's a problem that we need to address. Look at verse 9. When the Canaanites and all who live in the land hear about this, they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. He's thinking about himself again. Then what will you do about your great name? Now he turns it back on God. The Lord then said to Joshua, stand up. Why are you on the ground? He never told him to lay on the ground. He never told him to be like a dead man in the dust. Israel has sinned. Right there, Joshua's lights should have turned on. They have violated my commandment that I appointed for them. They have taken some of what was set apart. Now remember, the things in Jericho were set apart for what? destruction and God said whoever takes them will be set apart for destruction so because one man had done something to violate God's commandment the people were guilty of it and that's what he's saying Israel has sinned but you're thinking why 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 should we suffer for one man's actions the New Testament tells us we are responsible one for another in a Bible study when someone doesn't show up you call to find out why. Because we are responsible one for another. Desiree is our facilitator. Her job specifically for the young professionals is to be sure that everybody knows who, what, when, where, why, and how. That's her job. If she does her job well, nobody has an excuse for missing Bible study or having the wrong house or having the wrong time. That's why we look to Desiree to do that. But in reality, we're all responsible for each other. We're all responsible for looking to each other's needs to make sure everybody has what they need to, to be faithful to God. We had a, a person come to Bible study this week, and literally the center of their Bible fell out. You know how when the Bible gets old, it just, the whole Bible fell out. So we had to make sure that got remedied. Because you can't have a beat up old, you know, word of God. You gotta have something you can look at and read and that's our responsibility as a church, to make sure everybody has the word in their hands that is usable and readable and serviceable. That's important. If somebody in your Bible study doesn't have a good Bible, get them one. If someone doesn't have a ride to Bible study, go get them and bring them. Be responsible for each other. That's what he's talking about here. It says, they have stolen, deceived, and put the things with their own belongings. Now, don't forget, there was a second class of items at Jericho, wasn't there? 
men, women, children, oxen, all of that was to be destroyed, right? What about the gold and the silver and the other precious things? Where was it to go? Into the Lord's treasury, which one day would be used to build a permanent place for God to live. So in stealing, who were they stealing from? From God. They were stealing what belonged to the Lord. Let's press on, because we already know who did it. We already know what he did. You see, even a little sin is a huge sin. You know why? Galatians 5.9. Do we have Galatians 5.9 up there? There it is. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. All of you bakers know this is true. You don't need much leaven to get bread growing. I watched a whole special this week on the evolution of bread. May sound boring to you, but I thought it was really cool. Because the first leavened bread, the first bread that rose up and had the little air pockets, that was an accident. They laid out some flat bread to dry in the sun, and a little bit of germinal leaven got onto it and interacted with it and caused it to grow up. That's great if you have bread. It's lousy if you have sin in your life. Because even a little sin, a tiny bit of sin, a sin of the thought, a sin of the imagination, a little bit of envy, a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of greed, a little bit of anything else that gets in your head just like leaven can affect everything around it. Everything in your brain can be affected by one little sin that you hang on to. Grudges, all those types of things, you need to get rid of those because they're like a leaven that affects your whole brain. That's what happened to Israel. One man's sin affected the entire nation of Israel and caused those men to die. Now verse 12 says this, This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They will turn their backs and run from their enemies because they have been set apart for destruction, just like the things in Jericho. I will no longer be with you unless you remove from you what is set apart. That's the gospel. We are selfish. We are greedy. We desire to come to God on our own terms. We want to live our Christian life the way we want to. I want to take and choose from the Bible what I think is important. You know what? That whole thing there about waiting for marriage, we don't have to do that, do we? That's in the old days. That's, that's not how people live today. Or you know what? What's wrong with living together before you get married? Are we just testing the waters? Guess what? I did a survey once when I was still in college. 89% of people who live together get married, but not to each other. Nine out of ten couples who live together don't marry each other. They marry somebody else. So apparently the, the trying out process doesn't work. It's kind of a failure. But God could have told you that ahead of time if you would have listened, right? That's the whole part of it. We think we have this wisdom and we think we glean from our teachers and from our culture. I caution you people, be careful what you let be on your televisions in front of your children. Your children will learn from your television faster than they learn from you. I went to a lady's house once. This was a long time ago. And um, she was having trouble with her daughter. Her daughter was young and acting a little strange. And went there, and they had MTV on. And that was some nasty music, and that was some nasty videos. And I'm like, you let your daughter watch 
that? She's, oh, she sits there all day long and watches it. And I'm like, that's it. I already know the problem. She didn't want to hear that. You know what? Too bad. That was the problem. What you set before your children's eyes is like leaven to their brain. It will affect them. It can't not affect them. They will be changed by what they see and hear and experience. So you have to remove from you those things that God says are wrong in order for that peace and that security to come back. But let's press on. Joshua 7, 13 through 18. Okay, so failure can do this. Failure can reveal hidden problems. When they failed, Joshua and the elders got on their face. They saw what was wrong because God revealed that there was sin in the camp. Now in Joshua 7, 13 through 18, failure must cause us to re-examine our lives. If you are experiencing difficulty or failures or setbacks, it, doesn't not, it does not mean that you're in sin. Okay? Don't misunderstand me. It does not mean every time that you have sin in your life. But when something's not going right, when you don't have peace, when you can't sleep at night, when you're constantly worried or you're anxious, you need to examine your life and see if there is a sin. By the way, I hate to tell you this because I'm a habitual worrier. Worry is sin. Do you know why worry is sin? Because we worry because we don't believe God can take care of the problem. Therefore, worry is unbelief. And unbelief is a sin. It's a sin that many of us struggle with. Many of us struggle with worry and unbelief. But it is a thing. It is, a, it is an object of destruction to get out of our lives. Seriously, look at this. Go and consecrate the people. Have them set themselves apart like they did at Mount Sinai. Tell them to consecrate themselves for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are things that are set apart among you, that are set among you, Israel. You will not be able to stand against your enemies until you remove what is set apart, those things that God wants to destroy. Until you set them apart and get rid of them, you'll never be able to stand up. In the morning you must present yourselves tribe by tribe, the tribe, of the, the tribe that the Lord selects is to come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord selects is to come forward family by family. The family the Lord selects is to come forward man by man. The one who is caught with the things set apart must be burned. Somebody once told me they don't like the Old Testament. The Old Testament reflects the seriousness of sin. Sin is not a light issue. It is life and death. The one who is caught with the things set apart must be burned along with everything he has because he has violated the Lord's covenant and committed an outrage in Israel. If we're to, if we're to confess, if we're to consecrate, if we're to get straight with the Lord, we have to go through that process. Now for Israel, they were going to present the families one by one. And narrow it down until they have the person responsible. In our lives, we need to be examining our motives. We need to look at why do we do what we do. Look at our feelings. Look at our emotions. Look at our worries, our anxiety. And see if those things are offensive to the Lord. We need to narrow them down until we know what is not pleasing. And then get rid of it. That's not an easy process. You have to be honest with yourself and honest with the word. 
Because most of us have little closets in our house. I mean, our real house. Ladies, all of you have a junk closet. And whenever company comes, you shove everything into the junk closet. I mean, laundry, dirty dishes, small children. You put everything in the closet. That's where the phrase coming out of the closet came from. You hide everything in the closet until your company leaves because you don't want them to know that you're just like them. You want them to think that you've got it under control. We do the same thing in church. We stuff everything emotionally into the closet. We come into church and we sing our songs and we raise our hands and we say amen. We have lunch and then we go home and we unpack all of the emotional trash that's in the closet. And our life is no better and no stronger than it was before. Because getting rid of that stuff is a hard process. It really is. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is my all-time favorite verse, I think, outside of John 3, 16, 17, and 18. That's my favorite because that's our hope. Our hope is no matter how badly messed up our life is, God is willing in his mercy to forgive us and cleanse us. You know what the word confess means, by the way, guys? The word confess doesn't mean to say something that no one knows. The word confess literally means, in the Greek, to agree with the judgment against you. God knows you're guilty. God says, you are guilty. And you say, yes, Lord, I am guilty. I am guilty. I have done this. You agree with the sentence, then God can wipe away the judgment. He can forgive you. He can cleanse you. But you must admit to it first. Every addict has to say, hi, my name's Richard, and, and I'm a cleanaholic, whatever it is. That's not true. It ain't going to happen. Anyways, but you, you have to be able to confess that sin before you can deal with it and get rid of it. Look at verse 16. Joshua got up early the next morning. He had Israel come forward tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was selected. He had the clans of Judah come forward, and the Zaharite clan was selected. Then the Zaharite clan came forward by heads of family, and Zabdi was selected. You know they had to be sweating now, right? Because I mean, I mean, Achan's sitting there. He knows what he did. He knows he's got the goods. And he sees the finger of God coming right at him. He had the Zabdi family come forward man by man, Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was selected. My thing is this. Once it got down to the tribe of Judah, I would have been crying like a baby. I would have said, no, stop, please, it's me, don't go any further. How this brother stood there and let it come right down to him, there had to be some hardness of heart there. I mean, this, this is an interesting one because most of us think, that what happens in our heads is never going to get found out. It's not true. I guarantee what happens up here will find its way down here. And once it's down here, everybody will know. Actually, it goes from here to here to there. So it goes from your head to your heart and out your mouth. That's why in Numbers 32 it says this, But if you will not do so, speaking of do those things which are right in the Lord's sight, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. It is the truth. When you sin, be sure 
your sin will come out. Just like it did right here with Achan. Achan thought, maybe it's not going to come to me. But it always comes down to us. Because God sees everything in us. Even when we lock it in a little closet. Even when we are the best fakes in the world. We look like we have it together. God sees our hidden sin. Our hidden faults. See? Your sin will catch up with you. It will. Sooner or later. Deal with it now or deal with it later. You're going to have to deal with it. And that's the most terrifying thing right there. He was selected. The, 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 the punishment came right down to him. If God were standing here today, and he is, because where two or three are gathered together in his name, where is he? There I am in the midst of them. So if God is here right now, and God is speaking to your spirit, and God is trying to show you what's happening in your life, where your hidden things are, where your things set apart for destruction are, what would he be saying to you? What would he be identifying in each of us? Because really, when you hear the word of God, there should be something in you that says, you know what? That is talking about my anger. That is talking about my frustration at work. That is talking about my resentment for that guy who got the job that I should have gotten. He's talking about my lack of faith in what God can provide, whether that be a job or a husband or whatever. God sees and knows. This is a beautiful, beautiful time to deal with whatever has been holding you back in your life. You might be sitting there right now thinking, you know what, this is such a load of garbage. I don't believe a word he's saying. You know what, you don't have to believe me. You really don't, because I didn't write it. But you're one day going to have to face the one who did write it. And when you do face the one who did write it, understand that just like Achan, once God puts the finger on you, you have nowhere to go. I often wonder what would have happened if Achan had come forward immediately. When it says consecrate yourselves, clean yourselves up, I wonder what would have happened to Achan if at that moment he had come forward to Joshua and said, Joshua, I have done a terrible thing. Look at what I have done. I wonder if there would have been restoration for him. We don't know because he didn't do it. He didn't come forward. He didn't, he didn't do anything about it until it was too late. But Joshua 7, 19 through 26, finishes up. Failure should refocus us on following Christ. If you have failed because of some hidden sin, anger, jealousy, envy, strife, whatever it is, if you have experienced failure in your life, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your friendships, whatever, you've reexamined them through the eyes of Christ, you know what that thing is. Now, you should refocus on the following, being faithful. Look at verse 19. So Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and make a confession to him. Very first thing he says, he didn't say, oh, you dirty, rotten sinner. He didn't say that. He says, you know what? Give God glory. Confess what you've done. Agree with his judgment. That's 1 John 1, 9 all over again. Confess the sin. Agree that you're guilty. I urge you, tell me what you have done. Don't hide anything from me. Because you can't hide it. When the Lord's finger is on you, you can't hide anything. Achan replied to Joshua, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I did. When I, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak of Babylon. This, this is how you know Achan had clothing issues. Because normally guys 
guys in the middle of war would not stop and look at a dress. I mean, come on. So Aiken had issues. Probably he thought, you know, my wife would look really good in that if I just brought that home. She would forgive me for being a lousy husband. When I saw him on the spoils, a beautiful cloak from Babylon, 200 silver shekels, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. That's a pound and a half of gold. Imagine what a pound and a half of gold could buy you today. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wow. He says, I coveted them. You know what the word covet means? The word covet means to take delight in something. To take delight in it. That's why it says don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't take a delight in something that doesn't belong to you. It may start out as delighting in somebody or something, coveting a neighbor's position, a neighbor's car, his house, his boat, whatever he has. Don't take a delight in those things that are not yours. Interestingly enough, the psalmist says this, delight yourself in the wife of your youth. Gentlemen, find your delight not in the internet, not in the fantasy of Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Editions. Find your delight in your own wife that God has given to you. And ladies, you better say something. Because that's what happens. That's what destroys marriages. We delight in things that are not ours, that we can't have. And when you delight in something, I mean, guys, come on, we're as bad as our wives. Our wives go to, to the altar of lust, which is, you know, a coach or other places. And they, they see things and they drool and they, then they, their hearts are consumed with coveting and they, you know, seek out to possess it. We're just as bad, guys. We have those things that we want, and we think about it, and we think about it, and we go down to the gun store, and we get it, or we go down to the car lot, and we trade in our, our useful old beater that still runs, and we get a big, fancy, shiny car that we can't possibly afford. Not that I'm talking about me, but there we go. We've all been caught delighting in things that are not ours. And that's what he says. He says, I coveted them. I took a delight in them because they were beautiful. They could make me rich. They could make me look extravagant. That was his mistake. He thought with his eyes and not with the soul of faith. So he said that. He says, I coveted them. I took them. You can see for yourself they are concealed in the ground inside my tent with the money under the cloak. So Joshua sent messengers who ran to the tent, and there was the cloak concealed in his tent and the money underneath. What a terrible thing. All this time, God said, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow I will judge you. What must it be like to go home and sleep inches from this thing that you know has brought death to your countrymen? To sleep over a piece of cloth and some cold metal that as a result of that, numberless women were weeping and crying in the night because their husbands had been killed in battle because you couldn't say no to some change and address. That must have been a horrible night for Achan, yet he did nothing about it. It's not enough to feel bad about sin. We have to do something about it, and that something is confession. Agree that it was wrong. Tell, tell God, it is wrong, Lord, that I have done this. Now forgive me, cleanse me, wipe my soul of that evil desire. And let me be free to worship you again. That's what he should have done. But no, verse 23. 
They took the things from inside the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, spread them out in the Lord's presence. How embarrassing for Achan to stand there. And here's a piece of cloth. Here's some silver. There's some gold. All of which led to the death of his countrymen. All of which led to God turning against Israel. And he must have looked at it with new eyes and said, was my country worth this? Were the lives of my fellow Israelites worth this? If men could look at the cost, and if women could look at the cost of, to their families, to their marriages, to everything, of the things that we fixate our lives on, I think we would all be embarrassed and humiliated. And that's unfortunately what's wrong with our country. Our country is obsessed with things, and we take no clear thought of what those things are going to cost us in the end. They spread them out in the Lord's presence. Verse 24, Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the cloak, and the bar of gold, his sons and daughters, his ox, donkey, and sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and brought them to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? By the way, the word Achor means troubled. The valley of troubles is where they took them. They took the one who had troubled Israel to the valley of trouble, and that is where they executed God's judgment. Joshua said, why have you troubled us? Today the Lord will trouble you. So all Israel stoned them to death. They burned their bodies, threw stones on them. Now church, this should look familiar. And raised over him a large pile of rocks that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, that place is called the Valley of Achor to this day. Amazing. Another monument in Israel. The first monument in the Jordan River. This is where God delivers. The second monument on the side of the Jordan, saying this is where God's people begin their journey toward their promised land. We all know what the next pile of rocks was. And here we go again raised over the body, things that should never happen, things that shouldn't be done. How terrible is this? You're going to see many more piles of stones that happen throughout the story of Joshua. Some are good times. Some are piles of remembrance. If you've ever sung that song about, here I raise mine Ebenezer, you're going to love when we get to Ebenezer. And it's not Scrooge. It's a stone of remembrance, a stone to call to our minds. Those things that are most important. But here, a terrible pile of stones raised over a man whose sin cost Israel so much. A terrible, terrible marker. So let me ask you, are you facing any failures today? Are you facing any failures? Don't say it. You don't have to tell anybody. But do you feel like you're experiencing failure in your life? Let's say you have a good life. You get up in the morning, you go to your job, you like your job, you don't hate your coworkers most of the time, okay? You get up, you have a great group of friends at church and a group of friends at work, and your life really is better than 99% of people's in the world. You have food, you have a house, you have a way to get to work. Maybe it's a car, maybe it's a bus. But you're not happy. There's no peace in your life. In your soul, there's nothing that feels at rest. You feel uneasy. There could be a hidden fault 
somewhere in there that is keeping you from feeling that peace. So take time to search out your walk with the Lord. Are there any idols hidden in your home? Achan hid his idols under the tent floor in the ground. He hid his physical idols. What idols are you hanging on to? Is it somebody else's dream for your life? Maybe is it somebody else's faith? I've talked to many young people who say, you know, my mom and dad, they believe in Jesus and they believe in the Bible. I just don't know. If you just don't know, if you're not 100% sold out to Jesus Christ, you've got an idol in your life and that idol will cost you. That idol might be your pride. Maybe you consider yourself too smart. Too smart to just believe in these stories in the Bible. Intelligence is an idol in and of itself. Ask any scientist why they don't believe in God. Oh, I'm too smart to believe in God. Yeah, right. Till you stand before him. Careful that idols don't creep into our homes. An idol might be keeping up with the Joneses giving a, a standard of life to you and your family and your children that you know is keeping you away from being faithful to what God is doing. Guess what? God does not want us all rich. God does not want us all to have a big house and, and a fleet of cars and butlers and nannies and all that other junk. Sometimes God wants you to be broke on your butt so you will be dependent on him. But guess what? If you broke on your butt without Jesus, you missed the boat. The point is to be broke with Jesus, not against him. So be careful that idols don't creep into your life. The idol might be this. I have time for God later. Sweetheart, every day, people under the age of 30 wake up and they have no tomorrow. They wake up at the age of 28 and they have a heart attack. They wake up at 32 and they have a brain aneurysm and die. People wake up every day and the doctor pronounces the death sentence of cancer or tumor or something else. You don't have one second longer than right now for you to deal with any idols that you have in your home. And I encourage you, don't waste the day. Because Aiken wasted the night. He wasted an entire night sleeping on a detestable thing when all he had to do was take it to Joshua, confess, and he might have been saved. Along with everything that was his, his sons, his daughters, all killed because he was too proud to give up his idols. Second point is this. Whenever you, whatever you find in your life, whatever's not pleasing to God, jealousy, anger, superstition, hatred, whatever, confess it to Christ and seek his forgiveness and restoration. Restoration comes initially when you accept Christ for the first time. But if you've accepted Christ and you've wandered off the path, restoration is getting back on the path, getting back to where your faith is in Christ. Your eyes are set upon Him. His goals for your life are your goals for, his, for your life. That's restoration in the Christian sense. Finally, failure represents a teachable moment. I'll tell you this. Failure represents the most excellent teachable moment you will ever have in your life. Success can make you sleepy. Success can make you immune to what God is trying to do. Success 
can make you fall asleep in the light just like the Laodiceans. You think, I've got my house, I've got my job, I've got my family, I've got everything, God must love me. Don't you believe it. The word says that God causes the sun to rise on the evil as well as the righteous. And guess what? The rain people falls on the good folks and on the bad folks the same way. Okay? Just because you're making it or ain't making it is no sign. You've got to seek that out before the Lord and in his word. But you've got to respond with humility and you need to take time to be humble every day before God and say, God, show me what is not right in my life. Show me what to get rid of. Show me who to get rid of. That does not include husbands and wives. You cannot say, God told me to dump my wife or my husband. I won't allow that, no. But you might have people in your life, friends, etc., who are taking you a direction you don't need to go, church, and you better learn to hear God's word, God's voice stronger than your friends who think they know what they're doing. Amen? Let's pray because we have some business with the Lord today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Lord, I praise you as we come to the Lord's Supper. Father, I thank you that this is a remembrance that you have started a relationship with us. Father, you have started to walk with us through our faith in Jesus Christ that you will continue. Father, even when we are faithless, you are faithful. Father God, even when we let sin and, and things creep into our lives, Father God, you are holding us in the palm of your hands and you are not going to let us go. Lord, I just pray that as we come to this celebration, that we remember the blood that was shed, the body that was broken. And in response, Father, we have eternal life and a healing of our soul that could only come through your son. Father, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Worship team, please, softly. Call my ushers forward. Paul said, I delivered to you of first importance, most importance, what was delivered to me. That on the night Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And in breaking that bread, he said, my body is going to be broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant made in my blood. If you are a believer, if you have accepted Christ, if you are walking after him, then take this, join with us as we celebrate what he has done and what he continues to do. So our, our ushers will come around now and make this available to you.
Like the 